everybody. This is Chad. Welcome to the Subversive. Uh, really glad to be here. This is episode number nine. Um, man, myth, and meaning part two. Everybody, everybody say what's up. What's up? Hey, hey. hey. Howdy. <laughs> All right. One person said what's up. <laughs> That's about how we're going to roll. Hey, hey, hey. We got a hey, hey, hey. And a howdy. And a howdy. Yeah. That about some. I didn't know you were being literal. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. With exactly enough, what right. you wanted to hear from us. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> But either way you said howdy. Mm-hmm. That was good for me. I'm a rule follower, so it was good to yeah. not mm-hmm. do what you asked. Glad you guys broke the mold. It's a story they're living in. <laughs> but our special guest mm-hmm. actually followed <laughs> the instructions. Okay. Hey, check this out. Uh we we got some great content, so we want to dive uh right in. This is part two, man, myth and meaning. We're talking about story, meta narrative, um, what is the cohesion? Is there a cohesion uh, in the culture looking for a larger story that provides meaning and purpose that makes some sense of our, um, at oftentimes absurd experiences. And, uh, so uh, Mike's here again and, uh, we're, we're gonna have a great conversation. Well, I say great, but you can be the judge of that, but I think it'd be a good conversation. I want to start off with a quote. From Flannery O'Connor, who Mike will dive into in just a moment, but she was um, giving a lecture at Georgetown University, and in that lecture, uh, she said this, I would much prefer to be reading you one of my stories tonight, but these are times when stories are considered not quite as satisfying as statements, and statements are considered not quite as satisfying as statistics. Mm. And I think that fits with exactly what we're talking about, that uh, we weren't really made to find meaning with statistics. What did you say last week? It was like math can't provide meaning or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a certain desire that she's speaking to. I think we want certainty, simplicity. We want it boiled down. We want it abstracted. And then we can leave it alone. Yeah. But a story you can't leave alone. Yeah. Right. And that's there's a truth in the story that you can't. You can't just dismiss if it really penetrates you where you can argue with the statistic, right? but it's hard yeah. to argue with the story. That's well told. Well, I love the progression of statistics to statements mm-hmm. to stories. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like there's something lost in um, where we don't want to just sit with story as much. We want to reduce it down to something. Yeah. So, uh, Kyle, we're going to have you kick us off. Like yeah. uh, we, we closed last week and then we stopped recording, started talking about what's some of our favorite stories and um, thought, Kyle, like what's one yeah. of your favorite stories? Yeah. As we were talking last week, I was thinking about what I think you were referencing, like what story do you find yourself and what stories do you connect with? And I um, was thinking about that afterward that I connect a lot with uh, stories of people coming awake, like coming of age stories. Um people who maybe were sitting out for whatever reason and then something pulls them like into living a life that they've never been called to. So one of my favorites is secret life of Walter Mitty, a movie about a middle-aged guy who kind of just sits on the sidelines living in a fantasy world. I love and that then, movie. yeah. And then he's pulled out of that and like, I don't know, finds himself, finds bravery and courage and like lives instead of lives outside his head rather than in his head. Why do you think that resonates so much with you? Uh, cause I, I think, I think I just see myself in him. I think I've spent a lot of time, um, controlling everything around me and basically living in a, um, pretty safe dream world. 
like things might be exciting or happen in an exciting way in my head, but mostly I just play it safe. So, so in the story, he, he, he fantasizes a ton about doing something amazing, like yeah. taking a risk. Yeah. doing something, asking a girl out, Yeah, you know, going on some trip or adventure. Yeah. That's so counter to who he is. And I don't know. I just think there's a moment where he's running in it and they're playing arcade fire. And I'm just like, yes, that's it. Like he's doing what, um, I feel deep in me to do, but is terrifying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of living in or living through or living out your story. There's a risk because you don't know what's going to happen. An equation, if you're good at math, you know how it, you know what happens at the end. This thing equals that thing. In a story, there's a little bit of risk. There's a little mm -hmm. bit of adventure. There's a little bit of, you got to get to the end of the story to see how the story ends. Right. And that's sort of like life. You got to dive in and walk up to the girl, yep. you can write the story where you, you know, you can write an imaginary story where you have a relationship with an imag imaginary relationship with an imaginary girl and that's safe. Or you can walk up to the girl and see what happens. Uh, which is pornography, by the way. <laughs> yes, I mean, it really is. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's controllable. It's, right. it's a rush. It, it gives you the illusion of intimacy. And that's why I think it's such an attract since we're on story. And there's no it's, risk. It's a powerful storyline. Yeah, right. Uh, there is no risk. There right. is, there's actually no vulnerability required mm -hmm. from right. your side or whatever. Yeah. So. All right. right. That was a little side note. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you did. Mm -hmm. maybe, you were, maybe you were like, oh, of mm -hmm. course, that's what pornography is like. <laughs> Didn't All right. Take, didn't take long to get to shame, did it? <laughs> Kyle, thanks for sharing, yeah. jumping in on that. If you have not seen Secret Life of Walter Mitty, it is really a beautiful story mm. and uh, wonderful. So Mike, connect us with that and the larger story that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we, so we, we're talking about story and as Flannery O'Connor did, contrasting that with the things that we study, the facts that we study, that one kind of knowledge. And there's a couple of ones from C.S. Lewis and ones from Flannery O'Connor uh, that talk about this reality that we spent really the whole last podcast talking about. Uh, and C.S. Lewis writes, as thinkers, we are cut off from what we think about. As tasting, touching, willing, loving, hating, we do not clearly understand. The more lucidly we think, the more we are cut off. The more deeply we enter into reality, the less we can think. You cannot study pleasure in the moment of the nuptial embrace, nor repentance while repenting, nor analyze the nature of humor while rolling, roaring with laughter. But when else can you really know these things? Of this tragic dilemma, myth is the partial solution. In the enjoyment of a great myth, we come nearest to experiencing as a concrete what can otherwise be understood only as an abstraction. So he's, he's talking about this dilemma, this tension between the story and what we take out of the story, the story and the meaning we get from the story that at some point you have to sort of draw yourself back and think about the story. We, you know, we looked at, uh, we talked about leave no Tri trace that movie last time. And there's some point you kind of, you, you kind of take a step back and think about what's happening. Think about fathers and daughters and parenthood. And at that moment you're abstracting, you're thinking about it but you're sort of, you have to step out of the story to do it. And so there's this middle ground of, can we inhabit the story and still experience the truth of it? I think Flannery O'Connor says the same thing much shorter when she, she says, when everyone asks, anyone asks what a story is about, the only proper thing is to tell him to read the story. The meaning of fiction is not abstract meaning, but experienced meaning. 
And the purpose of making statements about the meaning of a story is to help you experience the meaning more fully. That flannery. <laughs> I think those two quotes captivate the dilemma of, of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And even what you were talking about, Kyle, with sometimes thinking about your story gives you the impression that you're living your story mm -hmm. and, and you can escape to the life of the mind. I think that's what Lewis is getting at. Like you have to be in the thing. Yeah. You can't always step back and question it or analyze it or how was it or is it going well or what's happening. You have to fully be both feet in your story. Um, I'm not saying don't think about it, but he, he describes that tension. Yeah. And it's only there where you can really think about it in a non-theoretical sense. He said, admittedly, you have to step out a little bit to think about it, but there's, the thing you're thinking about is a real thing you're experiencing, not an imaginary, you know, not a game theory, sort of how will this work out sort of thing. It's something that you're living in. Uh, and I think that's, so that's our own story. And I think story that we experience, like Secret Life of Walter Mitty, like Leave No Trace, like really good stories in literature get us to a place that that we can't really get to uh, otherwise because it's 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 deeper, bigger, it's deeper. It's uh, you know you think of you think of quotes from movies that you really interacted with deeply, and they'll pop into your head in this circumstance, and it sort of has this shade of meaning, and another circumstance that pops into your head, and it sort of has a different shade of meaning, and that's sort of what. The story is bigger than any one, you know, whatever it's getting at is bigger than any one particular expression of it. And that's what a good stories do to us. Yeah, it's not just uh, tightly bound to one interpretive move. Right. There is that, the intention and the interpretation. But then that's what a good song will do. That's what right. a good poem will do. It will leave it to you to find some level of interpretive meaning in your own experiences. That's right. With the thing. That's right. It gives you something to do with it. It gives you some way to think about it, some handle. Uh, if you really enter into the story, you can sort of, it should echo something real about the real reality that we're living in. That's what good art, good stories do. That's one of the reasons they resonate is because somewhere you're going, yeah, yeah, that's how it's like. Even though it's a circumstance you've never actually been in, the character is not you, it's but it's saying something bigger and deeper that you really couldn't say another way. Um, I have a, I have another Marilyn Robinson, uh, example. Yeah. And just for no one who's heard of her, just catch yeah. us up on her. So she's, uh, she wrote Gilead. She won, I think the Pulitzer prize for Gilead. That was 25 years ago or so. And then she wrote a couple other, uh, books that, that completed that trilogy. Uh, so she's a great writer and I think she, I think she's a person of faith. She understands faith at least. And one of the things about Gilead is it's about this older uh, pastor actually in the small sort of forgotten town, Gilead in, in Iowa. And later in his life, he comes across this w younger woman. Uh, his, 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 his first wife has died and sort of, you know, rescues her. They end up getting married and they have a child. And the book really consists of letters he's writing to his child to be read later. And the, the narrative of the book pro progresses with each, with each entry. Um, and in this one, he's really, his, so his heart is, he knows he's dying at some point. His yeah. heart's, you know, whatever. Um, 
and this is one of the entries uh, in his in one of the entries in, in his journal. No sleep this night. My heart is greatly disquieted. It is a strange thing to feel illness and grief in the same organ. There is no telling one from the other. My custom has always been to ponder grief, that is to follow it through ventricle and aorta, to find out its lurking places, that old weight in the chest, telling me there is something I must dwell on, because I know more than I know and must learn it for myself. That same good weight worries me these days. But the fact is, I've never found another way to be honest with myself as I can be by consulting these miseries of mine, these accusers and rebukers, God bless them all. So long as they do not kill me outright, I do hope to die with a quiet heart. I know that may not be realistic. <laughs> yeah, I read that in the notes and I was like, oh, bring me to tears. This, not only is it so well written, but I feel like that's what someone with the genius of writing can do is it immediately takes you beyond the words right? into the feeling of, oh. To your own grief. Into your own grief, into your own things that maybe you haven't paid attention to. Right. That it just subtly comes in and invites you to wake up, invites you to pay attention, to grow into awareness to the things you've been ignoring and yeah, to your own grief. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you've shared about your, you know, 2017. Yeah. And I think this part of that, it kind of reminds me of you're consulting these miseries of mine, these accusers and rebukers, God bless them all mm. where God bless them all because by cons it's only by consulting them that I, f I find out what I really know for myself, that I know more than I know and I must learn it for myself. And is there such, you know, you could say this is how you should handle grief and sort of bullet sure. point, you know, right. bullet point <laughs> Three out. steps to, Three handling, steps to grief. handling grief, yeah. which is what we want. It's what, it's what Flannery, we want statistics. We yeah. want steps. Right. We want statements. But it's only in the story that you go, yeah, that's how it's supposed to work, really. That's really what grief should do. It should instruct. It should, it should be a misery that blesses, right? It should be an accuser and a rebuker that blesses in some way. Um, and that just as a, an aside, just what she reveals about the human condition and the conversations and that you have we probably all have a lot of people at the table in our hearts yeah. and in our minds yeah. and they're all welcome there yeah. because they're all trying to teach us something. Mm -hmm. I love that about yeah. ourselves, but bless them all, these accusers and rebukers. I think so many times it's easy to silence or want to silence those voices and to shut them out or to keep them quiet. But what she reveals here is, no, they're they're trying to tra help you trace something down. Mm -hmm. And if you can bless them all, then that may be uh, your invitation to deeper places, right? Of growth and intimacy with God, self. Uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, that's right. If somebody said, "Well, you here's what you need to do. You need to, you know, you need to delve into your grief, and you need to learn, you know, learn what you really know, and you need to, you know, delve into these those miseries." Uh, you would say, well, okay, whatever. Uh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> right. yeah, you know, I don't think right. I'm going to do that. Thank right. you very much. But it, the story sneaks up on you and you, you're not, you're in the story without being, it's not about you and you're somehow still in it and you see the genius of him doing it. 
And now, well, I should probably do that. And nobody instructed you, right? Nobody, like it, was, it wasn't a statement. It wasn't a statistic. It wasn't a moralistic, it wasn't okay, a moralistic. let's draw the moral out of the story type right. thing. Right, good people do this with their grief. It's, it's none of that. There's a character that you've come to be attached to. This is page 179 of the book, you know, that you've come to be attached to and you go, yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah. really wise. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's brilliant. It is. It's yeah. like, it's like, you know, week 27 of therapy yeah. gets you to this point. Right. Or a good story. <laughs> or a good story. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of uh, Walker Percy, another novelist, who in the end here, when he says, I do hope to die with a quiet heart. And then his own catch, I know that may not be realistic. Right. I just thought, oh, the f- permission to say, well, so so Walker Percy said this, uh, bad books always lie. So interpretive freedom, bad stories always lie. Mm-hmm. They lie most about the human condition. And so I do think that's true. And here it's, I hope to die with a quiet heart, but let's be realistic. I That may not happen. It may not happen. And you there's, may not be able to put a bow on it. Right. There's no full on, this all goes well. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy. I die this wonderful, you know, in this place of right. bliss or I lived my story perfectly. There's always elements of tragedy and loss and shame. And yeah, I just think accepting those and being realistic. I, I love the permission that he talks about. And again, it's that same sort of thing where if somebody tells you that, you know, you may not get to die with a quiet heart. That sounds different than you, you're, you're in this story and you go, yeah, I hope he can, but maybe he can't. You can see it. Like you're very close to it, but there's, there's some lot, the story somehow protects you. You can go fully all the way there and it's not threatening in any way. Cause it really is about some other character and that allows you to get to some yeah, place that good. you wouldn't have gone before. Like that's I really wouldn't have, somebody says, you know, you, you may not get to die with a quiet heart. And you think, well, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know, guy? What do you know? <laughs> uh, but you know, again, this guy, this is this wise, the wisdom of this character comes out and you go, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I hope he can. Mm. And you're sort of saying, I hope I can. Mm. But you're not saying that. You're saying, I hope he can. Yeah. Right. And rooting for him, you're rooting for you're rooting for you. It's like Walter Mitty, right? Yeah. And rooting for Walter Mitty, you're rooting for you. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a permission, right? There's a permission to doing that. Yeah. We got the sign to lock up when we're done. Okay. So, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I think that's you know what, what it said. <laughs> I, there, I've been thinking like, it's interesting how it can sneak up on you. Like all of a sudden you're watching Leave No Trace and you're crying. Right. So it's a significant invitation to what is it doing to me? You know, and I, then I've also been thinking what a gift these things are. Writers, poets, filmmakers yeah. to name something yeah. that maybe I don't have the emotional vocabulary or emotional understanding or awareness to get there, but they've named it for me. Cause it's, I think it's a muscle you exercise, like the, the be honest with yourself, to be aware, to be vulnerable. And it's, I just think what a gift it is to have people that can name something you can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's disarming. Like if, okay, if I, and I'll talk about my sister here in a, in a minute, um, like, okay, I'm going to, I actually, I did, I did the, the, uh, the, the sermon for my sister's memorial service. Um, 
and you sort of like, oh, this is going to be really emotional. You're thinking about it ahead of time. This is going to be really emotional. I don't want to cry. And so you sort of get your guard up. Oh, yeah. Right? And we can do that in all sorts of ways. We know this conversation is coming. We know this confrontation is coming. But in a story, none of that happens. Yeah. Like it sneaks up on right. you. Like you're not, it's like in, in being detached from you, it invites you into a place you wouldn't have gone if it was attached to you. And all of a sudden it's like, dang, you know, what just happened? Yeah. I wasn't planning on crying when I bought this ticket. Right. Yeah, I was thinking my wife sent me a song to listen to a while back that with all of our loss made her cry a lot. It's a very sad song, but and she kind of prepped me for that. And I listened to it and I was like, it didn't get me like it should have, but it didn't get me. And I think it's because I was on guard. Like I, I, I've grieved a lot. I don't want to continue grieving. And then it was like maybe nine months later, it randomly came on, on my playlist Mm -hmm. and I'm weeping Mm -hmm. because like I'd heard it, but it, it was sneaky. It, It got me when I like least expected to hear it. And I'm like, oh, it's the same song but I just was, my guard was down. Yeah. I love, I, I love that you shared that because I think sometimes uh, it's a small rant, but it frustrates me sometimes when people tell people and I do it, but you tell people what they should experience when they are going to go to the story or mm-hmm. watch this movie. Like, Hey, da, 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 da. It was this. And it's, it's C.S. Lewis um, also said this about uh, a church service. He said, you shouldn't tell people what to feel about, God, when they come into a church service to worship, you should just basically present God mm-hmm. as God and who's your villain himself and let them feel what they want to, because it, there's some manipulation of emotion there. But I love the way you put that. It puts you on guard. Mm-hmm. And so as opposed to coming into the thing and, and letting it disarm you, you think, well, now if I, you start to get in your head, if I don't experience that, or I'm supposed right. to experience that, and now what do I do with all of this expectation upon the mm-hmm. thing, as opposed to letting the thing you know, seep its way into my right. consciousness. And yeah. we were going to talk about uh, uh, Joker a little bit, but, mm-hmm. but Mr. Mike's a little slow in the game. No, I got to say one thing, but I won't, I won't say <laughs> too much. I, uh, because it's one of the most recent stories that I have um, uh, found the impact upon me. And I think I, I watched it and I heard a couple different responses. Then I had my own response. And one response was kind of, there's that story and that character there and wasn't that, you know, creepy or something like mm-hmm. that. And then I was abstracted. It was an abstract. Yeah. And and for me personally, I left going, well, uh, I, I feel like my story is different than his, but I identify with a lot mm-hmm. of what is going on. And if maybe I'm a little bit off, you know, mm-hmm. if he's crazy, mm-hmm. maybe I'm there with him mm-hmm. to some degree. Mm-hmm. And it's inviting you into, oh gosh, I feel the same things going on at mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I felt a little like unnerved as I'm watching it. Like, oh no, like <laughs> I'm seeing myself in this, yeah. maybe not to the same degree, but, um, yeah, I sat there thinking I'm watching this differently than some people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I think that's the, if you feel like you have to think a certain way, because I think it's sort of taken on cultural meaning or potentially political meaning or whatever, which I haven't really paid a lot of attention to, but if it's like, if it, if it becomes something that's abstract, then you're not really experiencing it as the story. Like you said, if it's, if God is an abstraction about whom you must think these eight things, then you don't really enter in 
Oh, that's good. Right? That's good. Uh-oh. <laughs> you don't really worship. You don't really, you're not convicted. You're not stricken. You know, your own fallenness doesn't grieve you because you can say, oh, I'm fallen, but I have grace, which is true. But there's, that's like a level too high. Like I'm fallen. Let me just, let me just stay there for a minute. Otherwise I don't really, I don't really get to where grace is because I don't really live in my, I suck. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is I, I don't, that's, that's really true and good. I don't know if we've done a great job as contemporary evangelicals with storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, this war and debate going on about, you know, what, how, how should you preach and communicate? And people were really adamant that you should have not a great amount of storytelling mm-hmm. in the talk that mm-hmm. you should have you know, purely expositional like or exegetical, right? Like Paul. Right. And it's kind Not of like, like Jesus, right now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who told, who, who just told right. stories over stories. and over again. Yeah. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like, what are we afraid of mm. with storytelling? Or has it become a little bit of O'Connor statement? Like we just want the bottom line, like mm-hmm. get to the point, yeah. tell me the point right now, right. as opposed to shouldn't you enjoy the ride? Right. Aren't we along for the journey? Like, right. why are we in such a rush to get the spark notes right. on the thing? Yes. Yes. Like, what right. is that about? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is it fear? Is it, uh, I don't know. I mean, do we, are we afraid of the complexity and of the feeling and of the weight and of the heft of, of the realness of that? And we just want it to be boiled down into a, yeah. whatever. And then I feel, I don't know. I feel in control. Right. Right. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to so do. So I can do it. Tell me, right. So it can work out. Tell me. Right. And then I'll feel like, great. That was great. You did that well. I feel good. Well, it's hard to sit in it. It's hard to it's sit scary. in it. We don't want to do it. It's That's overwhelming. Right. Like there's certain yeah. times that I'm like aware that I'm in a place to um, be like shaken by something. So something's on TV and I'm like, I just don't have it in me tonight Yeah. to watch that. Maybe right. I need to sit in it. Right but I kind of know it's coming and I don't, mm-hmm. I can't face it. Right. So you watch Parks and Rec or something. Right. Yeah. Watch The Office. The Office. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with The Office. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, when you uh, did your sister service and then transitioned into the... Yeah. So there was your... a passage from The Return of the King that was sort of in my mind. So Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, the third. Yeah, Return of the King. The third uh, installment of the story. Because um, my sister had cancer. She had a, a, a kind of a long, complicated uh, battle with cancer. And, you know, and I saw it with my, my wife's sister as well. There's a lot of activity and a lot of busyness and a lot of next things to do. And now we're going to do that when you're battling cancer. But at some point, especially if you've seen it before, you know, you know, she's not going to beat this. This is going to be the thing that kills her. There might be another thing to try or whatever, but eventually, um, and just sort of wrestling with that. And my sister was very, uh, very important to us. She was certainly a mother figure, uh, for us. And so I was sort of in that space, you know, uh, she died, uh, at the end of, uh, or right at the beginning of 20, uh, beginning of this year. Um, and, and so I, you know, 2017 into 2018, maybe the end of 2017 into 2018, I was sort of in this place of this heaviness of that, 
and there were trips out there and saying goodbye and all of that stuff. And so for, through all of this, there was this section of uh, this book, the story, The Return of the King, and it's it's near the end of the great quest. They had this, this ring of power, this ring of evil uh, that Frodo the Hobbit and his companion Sam, Frodo has to carry it. They have to destroy the ring uh, in order to save the world or evil will take over the world basically. And in order to do that, they have to go to Mordor, this sort of godforsaken, ashen, evil, black, barren land. And in the middle, there's this, um, this big, basically volcano, uh, Mount Doom, and they have to throw it into the lava of Mount Doom. It's the only place the ring can be destroyed. And all right, it's just an impossible quest because there's evil armies and orcs and all this all over the place. And, um, and you know, the, the whole story takes basically three books and then now there's just the two of them left and they have seen these just uncountable evil armies go, come out of Mordor as they're trying to sneak in. Uh, and they just believe that maybe all their friends are dead and, and all the good lands are overrun and there just seems to be no, no hope at all. And, doesn't look like they're going to make it. Yeah, you know, and they, I think they, they come to that conclusion, they come to right? Like, we're, 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 just, we're not going to get back to the Shire. We're going to die. Uh, and, you know, Frodo's laying exhausted and uh, just defeated by the burden of this carrying this evil. And then there's a section where Sam looks up at the sky from their place of hiding. Uh, this is there peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains. Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. I still can barely get through it. That gave me chills while you're reading that. That's beautiful. And that that's that names something about kind of, yeah maybe is lost that maybe they won't survive maybe the darkness will take over maybe the darkness will win but in the end the shadow is only a small and passing thing that there's light and high beauty forever beyond its reach yeah uh, and it's it's in that in a hopeless place because at some point you rationally give up hope that there is still hope beyond this story yeah. like this story may not end well right or may not end the way i want it to end but it's part of a bigger story and that bigger story will win in the end that there's light and how beauty forever beyond its reach and it, you know in the so in the, you know, the year or so leading up, I just, that passage, that image was sort of in my mind and it's somehow connected to something about the situation with my family, my sister and her impending death and sort of the grief of, you know, many things about my childhood that that evoked because she was a mother figure because we were in a pretty bad situation uh, as children. And so there's all of that going on. Uh, and it, so it names it in a way that's true and real 
and sad, but hopeful. Yeah. Like it truly, it's not a Pollyanna thing. It's not a tomorrow, tomorrow. Right. You know, it's not one of those sort of happy little lollipop songs. It's no, probably will die. But in the end, there's a bigger story we're a part of. The shadow's passing. Shadow's going to pass. Yeah, the shadow's passing. Yeah. I I love, to me, that's what's so beautiful about the passage. And and I'm going to ruin it by saying anything about it Mm -hmm. other than reading it. (laughs) But I think the the depth of reality there, that it's not only despair, and yet it's not only Pollyanna hope, false Mm -hmm. false hope. Right. It is. And I, I think the beauty for me, too, is Tolkien loved the created order mm-hmm. loved the natural world and that's why all his uh, uh, the trees and the ants and all the things good uh have to do with growing and flourishing and so to look at the star and see beauty and it's beauty that pierced his heart and yeah. i think it's dostoevsky don't quote me on that but talked about two things pierce the human heart beauty and tragedy mm-hmm. And I think that's true mm-hmm. and when, and, and here beauty pierces heart, but it instills hope. Like there's yeah. a hope that there's something bigger than me, that there's something mm-hmm. bigger than us, that in the end, all of this is going somewhere good, even though my individual story uh, may end up some level of tragedy right. and we're all going to die. So there's going to be mm-hmm. that as some level of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how it goes. I don't right. know how next year goes or 10 years go. And there's no certainty there, but there is hope and confidence that the shadow is a temporary shadow. Yeah. Even over my own heart, right. my battle with myself will not be forever. Right. And that's good news. Even if it's my whole life long. Right. Um, and I think from that point, and I think it's part of what we talked about last time, it's only in that context that you can make sense of parts of Like it doesn't make sense for them to get up and keep going. That's good. Yeah. But since they're in this bigger story, just be faithful now. And, and, you know, I don't know, I don't know how this works out, but in the end, there's a, there's a, there's a high beauty that's forever beyond the reach of the shadow. And I'm going to just keep going in that hope and that belief and that hope and that faith is what life of faith really is about. And without that, I guess, give up. I mean, what's the point, right? If you believe that at some point, like, what is the point? Uh, and to getting a glimpse of that. And I think with my, for my sister, one of the things that resonated was, so she was the, we did not grow up in a Christian family. She became a Christian. And in a sense, she was that, that star, if you will, that all of a sudden her transformation showed something real to us that we didn't know existed. Um, and it wasn't like, I mean, it's not true that she was the star. She was really transformed by the star. And we saw the transform, we saw the reflection of it. Uh, and that's, you know, the verse that I also used along with that is 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul is talking about us, people who are people of faith, people who have been transformed uh, in comparing with Moses who went up on the mountain and his face glowed and he came down and he had to cover his face with a veil so that people wouldn't mistake the fading glory for the true glory of God. 
And Paul says, we're not like that uh, because as we behold this star, if you will, uh, then we are transformed to ever increasing glory. And that's 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So she, my sister, I think she beheld the one who transformed her and reflected that glory. And we saw that, and that named something in a sort of dark and hopeless place that somehow that resonated with me across the decades. You know, I was maybe 11, you know, and I'd read the story, I don't know, a long time ago. Uh, but it was only in going through this grief, you know, in a sense, consulting this accuser and rebuker that there's a connection there that was always sort of there, that this story was naming something about life that now I was discovering. Like I was just like, I discovered the meaning of that passage three decades after I read it because it was, I knew something I didn't know and I had to find it out for myself. And the story was the way of naming that. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I do think, stories are subversive in layers that they work in layers you read it um but you and i took a class on tolkien and that was the first time during that year when i had read the whole Mm -hmm. trilogy of the lord of the rings Mm -hmm. um and i it was overwhelming there were passages that would immediately bring me to tears or Mm -hmm. i was hooked in and just what he the story that goes on is so complex and layered but the professor I said uh, that was teaching the class, I think he said he'd read the whole trilogy probably a hundred times. Yeah, and that year he was already three times through it, and it was yeah. in the fall. Yeah, um, and he said it feeds him, and I do think that's true that there's layers to story. Mm-hmm. So I used to not be a fan of going back and watching movies or rereading mm-hmm. things, but lately I've been more enticed to do that because I'm not done with it and I don't think it's done with me. Mm. And, I don't, and that's what I think you're revealing here mm-hmm. is, yeah, the story's not done with me. And if I allow it, it can keep working on me and reveal new things and new connections and new grief or new highs mm-hmm. or new dreams at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not static. And so far, life is a story. This is a new chapter and I'm going to face new trials. It may feel the same, but I'm going to face new uh, challenges and trials and obstacles that I may need that story to work on me in a different way at this moment in the chapter. So, mm. yeah, I think that's, I think it, it, it has layers mm. and it continues to do work on us. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's, you know, we talked about connecting with the bigger story. And I think that was one of Tolkien's, you know, he, he wrote stories that sort of self-consciously connected to some bigger thing. Uh, that you didn't really necessarily, that was his, you know, he wanted to be, uh, Tolkien in a sense, wanted to be one who reflected the glory, but through these stories, yeah. And, and in, in doing so he gets to somehow something about glory and grace and hope that you couldn't get to uh, any other way. And like you said, what are all those things? What are all those pockets of all those things? He probably 10 years from now, you'll discover another one, you know, 
because it's named something that's just sort of lying dormant until until the song plays and you're not expecting it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it just <clears throat> is overwhelming. And it yeah. you needed it. Like I needed to hear it then. You know? Yeah. 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 So I think for me, part of all of this has been sort of surprising. Mm. Uh, I think I've discovered the power of story somewhat later in life. Like I was an, I was an engineer for 10 years, you know, got a seminary degree. Uh, and I liked stories, but I don't think I really fully appreciated the weight of them or the depth of them yeah. until, I don't know, until the second half of life, really, I suppose. Uh, that there's more than just how the thing turns out. Mm. how the plot resolves yeah, and whether there was cool stuff happening or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you have, um, you have something from Tolkien that I'd like for you to share, uh, in a poem that he wrote to C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So they were good friends despite what anyone might say. Uh, and, Tolkien was very influential in Lewis's conversion. Lewis was a was he a self claimed atheist, yeah, agnostic he was an atheist, atheist, right? And they right. were at uh, was it Cambridge? Cambridge, I think, together. together. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote this. So this, I think, he wrote this after Lewis had become a Christian, but he wrote kind of wrote it to the pre Christian Lewis. I, think. I thought it was that night. They spent like four oh, okay. hours talking yeah. uh, late into one night about myth that, yeah. and about uh, this conversation. Then Tolkien went back and wrote, wrote this poem thing. to Lewis. Yes, Philo mythos to mythomythos. So basically, myth lover to myth hater. Yeah. That's the, and it's myth of, and, and in it, he's, it's, it's, I recommend it. Oh, you uh, have to read the poem. You have to read you it. You have to read it's the whole long, poem long poem, but part of what, um, Tolkien's getting to is sort of, and this is before he has written the Hobbit, before he's written the trilogy mm -hmm. and he's sort of writing about, in a sense, the storyteller he wants to become. Uh, and he says, blessed are the timid hearts that evil hate that quail in its shadow and yet shut the gate that seek no parley and in guarded room though small and bare upon a clumsy loom, weave tissues gilded by the far off day, hoped and believed under shadow sway. Blessed are the men of Noah's race that build their little arks, though frail and poorly filled and steer through winds, contrary towards a wraith, a rumor of a harbor, guessed by faith. So he's saying he wants to, uh, upon a clumsy loom, uh, the, he who, uh, you know, hates evil, but doesn't want to quail in its shadow. He wants to lock himself away in a clumsy, in a, in a bare room, in a clumsy loom, weave tissues gilded by the far off day. We, you know, pages that are gilded by the larger story, yeah. hoped and believed in under shadow sway. And that he's going to, you know, that like Noah's build, building a little ark, though frail and poorly filled that, you know, heading towards a, a rumor of a harbor guest by faith. Yeah. That there's a bigger story and he wants his stories to reflect that. Um, blessed are the legend makers with their rhyme of things not found within recorded times. 
It is not they that have forgot the night or bid us to flee to organize delight in lotus aisles of economic bliss, forswearing souls to gain a seer's kiss and counterfeit at that machine produced bogus seduction of the twice seduced. I love that little stanza because it's sort of blessed are the legend makers who are uh, telling stories of something bigger. They have not forgot the, the night, but as we talked about last time, they have not been sucked into the organized delight, mm -hmm. the fake, the fake kiss, the counterfeit kisses mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of, our, of our culture. And there, he wants to tell stories of, of something bigger and deeper and fuller. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing is, he, well, he did. Yeah. And, you know, we just spent 15 minutes talking about how it impacted my life. Yeah. This is maybe 1930 something that he writes this. Um, and you know, it's, it's the, it's, uh, the story of his life, the story that the author had fashioned for his life is to become a myth lover and a storyteller that points to a bigger story and a bigger author that decades from now will still continue to resonate. I think. I, I love that section of that uh, poem that you read too, because um, in his writing uh, of Lord of the Rings, he struggled to complete it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he was always maybe hopefully like anyone who really creates is always self-critical to think I'm working so hard on this thing and it's, I'm hoping it's a shout, but it's a whisper. It may not go anywhere. It may not go anywhere. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably the, the best mindset mm -hmm. of, but he's saying like, you know, we're men of Noah's race, build this little ark. It's frail and poorly filled. And yet by faith, we're still going to take the risk. We're still going to tell the story. We're still mm -hmm. going to take yeah. the leap of whatever we're right. supposed to do. And so in fact, he, it was funny cause he, he got bogged down and struggled to complete uh, the, the Lord of the Rings. So he wrote a short story mm -hmm. called Leaf by Niggle, mm -hmm. which is an incredible short story. Yeah. Always brings me to tears. And it's yeah. in the book you have right there. And I yeah. highly recommend, uh, Tree and Leaf. Yeah. yeah. Tree and Leaf by Tolkien. It has a, uh, an, an essay mm -hmm. and then it has Mythopoeia and it mm -hmm. has Leaf by Niggle. Mm -hmm. And in that story, he describes his struggle of, I, I'm painting something I'm creating and I only seem to get so far. And then there's all these distractions that come up and I'm taking care of my neighbor and I'm taking care of mm -hmm. life and what goes on. And then in the end, I don't even really get to feel like I complete mm -hmm. the painting. Right. And there's all this work to be done mm -hmm. and yet death comes for me mm -hmm. and I never really got to fully mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful story almost within the story of yeah. his life right. to say, this is mm -hmm. what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And that's where he believing in a bigger story, he like Sam and Frodo keep going, even though Kept going. it seems to make no sense because I don't know what the author of the bigger story will make of this, but faithfulness is just to keep going. And, you know, it's, I think it's, uh, other than the Bible, it's been, it's the most read book in English, uh, history, yeah. history of English, English language, uh, which, you know, he, I, he had no, you know, beyond his wildest dreams, obviously, uh, he was just telling a story about a harbor, distant harbor, guessed by faith. And if that harbor master wanted to do something with it, then that was up to him. Um, and so that's sort of, I think that, you know, kind of tying it all together, that 
they're, you know, without believing, without connecting my story to the bigger story, I'm really sort of unable to not only be realistic about how dark it is, but then be hopeful to go, go ahead anyway, because there is a, there is hope far beyond the shadow. Yeah. And I think when I hear all of this conversation, there's constant allurement from story, just like we started off to say, okay, I don't want to live in my head. Like you have dreams, you have fears. There are, there is an evil power. There's, there's orcs all around. Yeah. The, the obstacles are insurmountable. Even if they're your obstacles mm. and everyone else thinks they're tiny, they're insurmountable to you. And so, but you're being invited to show up for your own story. And I feel like that's what yeah. ultimately what your right. story is inviting right. us to do. That's right. Is to show up for your own story. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. And that's not even really the point. Right. The point is, as they, as Frodo and Sam say, you got to put one foot in front of the mm -hmm. other, one foot in front of the other. And that's what the whole story is going to feel mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. It's one foot in front of the other on the journey to Mount Doom. Mm -hmm. You're not sure where all your friends are. Mm -hmm. You're not sure if you're even going to complete the task, mm -hmm. but that's not even the point. Mm -hmm. It's to show up for your story. And mm -hmm. I feel like all good stories invite you to those yeah. places. Right. Right. In some and allurement way. And that's its own resolution. Whatever happens, it's its own. Yeah, it's its own resolution. That's good. Yeah. It's its own resolution. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, friends, thanks for listening. Uh, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Subscribe. Don't subscribe. That's up to you. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Subversive podcast at Gmail. Did I get that right, Mr. Jacob. Okay. Yep. The subversive podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> the subversive so podcast. No. So I or, didn't get it right. You or can just or just message us on Instagram. <laughs> message us on Instagram. We have an Instagram and it's just the subversive. Yep. Spelled normally. Yep. <laughs> there was some confusion there for a bit. Um, Mike, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Kyle and Jacob, thank you so much. Grace and peace, friends. Thanks for listening to The Subversive. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.